Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Dr. Ken Turner, how are you? I'm doing great. It was kind of a slick ride over here. That uh, Those yeah. roads are icy and snow-covered, and I had to go pretty slow to get over here. Yeah, they're nasty out there, and yeah. there's been a couple accidents. We know of one out on Casota Road, and we know of uh, one uh, just outside of Murtaugh, so slow yeah. down. Yeah, it takes so, a lot longer to stop. Yes, so it does. Be careful, folks. So what have we got today that we're going to well, be talking about? We're going to go back to a time that was just right a few years after Lewis and Clark made their trek west. And Sacagawea? Yes. Or so this Sagawea is two years after that. Okay. So there's there's three guys that I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to step out on a limb and say, I'll bet not hardly anybody has heard of these three guys. Robinson, Hoback, and Reznor. All right? And that's the three guys I'm going to be talking about today. Okay. All right? So, you know, in the early years of uh, beaver trapping, uh, there were three guys, Edward Robinson, John Hoback, and Jacob Reznor, they came out of Kentucky. Now, Robinson was 66 years old in 1811. He was a veteran of wars between the white settlers and Indians for possession of Kentucky. And in some long ago, long ago fight, he had lost his scalp to a warrior's knife. So after that, he always wore a large handkerchief tied over the top of his head. He had no hair up there. There was a reason for <laughs> there that. There was a reason for the handkerchief. But uh, anyway, so the, the three Kentuckians launched their trapping uh, careers under a guy by the name of Manuel Lisa. And he was one of the more famous trappers in the, in the Old West. But they followed Lisa up the Missouri River in 1807. They took part in the St. Louis, Missouri Fur Company's venture of 1809-1810. And then in the spring of 1810, they helped to build Henry's Fork or Henry's Fort at the Three Forks of the Missouri River. Well, they went with the 60 men who in the summer of 1810 followed Andrew Henry up the Madison River across the Continental Divide to the North Fork of the Snake River. That's why they call it Henry's Fork. Is after uh, So there's two Henry's Forks. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think this, well, maybe there is. One in Missouri and one out here. Well, yeah, this is the one we're talking about, I think, up by, uh, out of the Snake River. Huh, yeah. interesting. So, but from Henry's Fork, the trappers conducted a fall hunt. Uh, they got a lot of, uh, a bunch of beaver uh, through this area. Now, Crow warriors had stolen most of their horses, uh, but they ranged widely in search of promising beaver streams, and they crossed over into Jackson Hole, which is not too far from us here. But they actually trapped the Snake River, which, again, you know, I crossed over the Snake River to come over here today. So it's right close to where we're at. Hmm. But the occupants of Henry's Fort, the winter of 1810-1811, was really severe. It was a bad winter. Uh, several log huts served as root shelters, and the men ventured out only to uh, hunt. And they used the term, quote, make meat. And I'd never quite heard that term before. So that's what the term they used when they went out hunting in the wintertime. So by the spring of 1811, with uh, fading prospects of resupply from St. Louis, uh, Henry abandoned the post. The trappers divided into groups, some to stay in the mountains, others to make their way home. Well, for their part, Robinson, Hoback, and Reznor decided to go home to Kentucky. They, you know, they'd been out here. They were tired of it. They just kind of wanted to go home. So 
they took with them uh, a knowledge about the mountains and the headwaters of the Missouri, the Snake, and the Green Rivers. They also pioneered a travel route safer and easier than the path that Lewis and Clark had, had come along. Well, Robinson, Hoback, and Reznor put it all together to link the Upper Snake with the Missouri River. So they were all through this whole area. So May 26, 1811, uh, two dugout canoes containing the three men uh, pushed out into the Missouri River. And a ways down the river, they came to the mouth of the Neobrara River. And here they discovered a company of some 60 men that were sitting around eating breakfast before heading up the river. So they were going the opposite direction. Well, the Kentuckians uh, had met a band of adventurers uh, destined not for the mountains, but for the Pacific Coast. So these guys were headed, wanted to go to the Pacific Coast. Uh, the first uh, to attempt a continental crossing since Lewis and Clark did it. So the sponsor of this group was none other than the American fur trade giant, John Jacob Astor. And i got to tell you, folks, if you want to read an amazing book, read uh, John Jacob Astor's book about uh, how he actually tried to uh, get a worldwide uh, thing uh, supplier uh, with the world, with China, with America, with the... Back in the 1800s? Yeah, he was trying to rule the world with wow. his trading. So anyway, Robinson, Hoback, and Reznor, they ate breakfast with them, with this, these over, what we call the overland Astorians. But, you know, they had families and good plantations in Kentucky, and they were going home. But, you know, they agreed to go ahead and come with the Astorians. So they turned around and headed the other direction. Well, leading the overland Astorians was this guy named Wilson Price Hunt. And that's a name that's pretty well known. Yep, the Hunt Party. And he set himself up uh, in St. Louis. He was a merchant man in 1804. Now, Astor recruited him to command this overland expedition. Now, this is what is a little puzzling. Because never before or after was this businessman a mountaineer or even an outdoorsman, much less a captain of men. So Astor kind of chose a guy that really wasn't qualified to be leading a group of men Hmm. to the coast. So Edward Robinson, John Hoback, and Jacob Reznor were these men in 1811. Hunt welcomed them, uh, and they were pretty willing to turn back. So he quickly signed them on to guide them. To the Pacific, or at least... So it was a smart move. It was, in his part. So for Robinson, Hoback, and Reznor, more than the lure of the mountains influenced uh, their plans, uh, Hunt offered them a full trapping outfit with good ammunition in return for half their taken beaver pelts, and talks with Hunt ended in their designation as guides to lead the expedition uh, to Henry's abandoned post on Henry's Fork. So they were just going to take them not all the way, but part of the way. So, anyway, they led Hunt, uh, the route by which they had just come from the Snake River country. Well, they knew nothing about the country west of Henry's Fork, but they agreed to guide the, the historians as far as that branch of the Columbia. Now, for if we look at the geography, you know that the Snake comes way down here, southern Idaho, heads north, clear up there by Lewiston, where it hooks into the Columbia. So, they didn't know anything about that. <laughs> so, anyway, the... Uh, they took off uh, July 18th. The expedition consisted of 62 men, one woman, and two children. All right? And that's a whole other story. And, and I've told some of that before about mm-hmm. these guys. But anyway, so Robinson, Hoback, and Reznor had become a little confused on their way eastward uh, through their passage of the mountains. So they were a little not quite sure where they were. 
So they happened upon a crow chief, and he pointed out the right path, which way to go. So safely crossed the Bighorns, Robinson, Hoback, and Resner had no further difficulty finding their way to the Snake River, which, again, is right here. Now, as the Kentucky guys declared, the Astorians had arrived on the branch of the Columbia, toward which they'd kind of aimed. So they sort of knew where the snake was headed, but not really. <laughs> well, so Robinson, Hoback, and Resner had performed their service as guides. They had piloted the Astorians to Henry's Fort, now under the terms by which Hunt had outfitted them, they wanted to remain in their old hunting grounds and to hunt beaver. So they joined up with two other guys. There was a guy by the name of Martin Chass. He was uh, joined up with them. And another guy, a fifth man named Joseph Miller, joined these guys. So now there's five of them. So they're going to be uh, uh, trapping beaver for a while, at, kind of in this area that we're out now. Well, the Kentucky Trio and their two new companions, in the course of a year, they wandered really uh, more than a thousand miles around land that really was only known to the Indians. And, but you know what? They deserve a note in history. They need to be remembered as the first white men to traverse a huge country, which became the heartland of the Rocky Mountain fur trade. Huh. They, they don't get a lot of credit for that. Well, striking south from Henry's Fort, the trappers followed the Snake River until it began its westward turn, then veered south over some low mountains to the Bear River, so they kind of left the snake and headed over by the by Bear River. They found streams just alive with beaver. They had a rich harvest of pelts. And they assumed this southward flowing river to be an arm of the ocean. But they didn't follow <laughs> it not, far enough to realize that it actually emptied into the Great Salt Lake. Right. So, you know, for being trappers and mountain men, they didn't always know exactly where they were going. So... Anyway, uh, instead, they turned directly east, and their horses were loaded with beaver pelts. Uh, they trekked more than 200 miles through the mountains and deserts. Uh, they crossed the Continental Divide again. Well, pretty soon they got a little hungry because game was scarce. They got robbed by some Arapaho Indians. These destitute trappers sought a winter camp, and uh, it may have been in the northern foothills of what's called the, the Medicine Bow Mountains. They Again, they're not really sure where they were. Well... <laughs> The game continued to be scarce, and with the few fish they could be taken from the streams, furnishing a bare existence. Worse, as the spring of 1812 dawned, dawned, the same Arapaho Indians again fell on the travelers, took virtually everything, their pelts, everything. Uh, and to compound this disaster, Martin Caffs, one of the five guys, during one night he snuck away, took one of the horses that had not been taken by the Indians. So now they're down to one horse. Four guys. So, turning west, uh, somewhere along the way, Shoshone's made off with their single remaining horse. So now they're afoot. They're hungry. They're wasted. They're destitute. Their clothes are in tatters. Uh, they toiled through the mountains to the Snake River Plain, made it back this direction. And the middle of August 1812 found them far down the Snake River, some 70 miles above the mouth of the Boise River. So now we're talking between us right here and Boise. All right. So, on a hot August 20th, John Hoback was fishing in the Snake River, and he heard some noise. So, he turned to see on the other side, he saw some men scrambling down the slope to get a drink from the river. Well, it was a turn of good fortune because it united the Kentucky Trio with six of the Astorians <laughs> under a guide by the name of Robert Stewart. And these men were actually on their way east with dispatches for John Jacob Astor. So this is after the historians had made it over there, and now this group under Robert Stewart was headed back east 
to give a report to John Jacob Astor. In all the land that's out there, and they the fact that they other. ran across each other is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. So the three men once again determined they were going to go home. They uh, they appeared, uh, you know, quite overjoyed and happy at the prospect of uh, returning to their native homes. But again, they changed their minds. <laughs> so the, only nine days later, the combined party arrived at the point on the Snake River where a canoe disaster at the Cauldron Lynn, you know where that is, yep. just a few miles from where we're at. And this is where uh, uh, the Cauldron Lynn had forced Hunt to abandon the river. Now, for you folks, the Cauldron Lynn, it, Lynn is a real narrow portion mm-hmm. of the Snake River Canyon. The rapids are so high, rough, terrible rapids. Mm-hmm. And this is actually where a one of the, on their way over, they lost a guy by the name of Antoine Clapier, uh, his canoe went over and they never found him. Well, on their way through, they had actually cached a lot of equipment and supplies that couldn't be carried. So now Stewart opened the caches on their way back, and six of the nine had already been found and plundered, probably by Indians. But the remaining three contained ammunition, beaver traps uh, that set the Kentuckians to thinking again, well, you know, maybe we're not quite ready to go home. <laughs> so rather than return home in poverty, they persuaded Stewart to outfit them for a two-year hunt with all the contents of these caches. Well, by now, this Joseph Miller, he'd had enough. He quit. So now we're down to just the three musketeers, the three trappers. So Robinson, Hoback, and Reisner, they stayed behind, well-equipped for a fall hunt, and by now well-acquainted with the best beaver streams along the Snake River. And for nearly a year, from the autumn of 1812 to the autumn of 1813, the three Kentuckians... Uh, successfully trapped the country they had come to know so well. So late in September 1813, near the mouth of the Boise River, they found a log house that had been erected a month earlier by a guy by the name of John Reed. Can I keep that name in mind? John Reed. Okay, He had been sent with eight men back to the snake country to make his own hunt and to look for Robinson, Hoback, and Reznor. Instead, they found him, but uh, again, luck had kind of deserted them. Two weeks earlier, Indians had robbed them of their beaver catch, horses, equipment, and nearly everything else. So the three trappers drew another outfit from Reed and joined the fall hunt. Now, in addition to Reed's party, consisted of four trappers and two hunters. Uh, now, Reed used his house at, it's actually where the Snake and the Boise Rivers come together. So that's kind of west and north of us, yep. a little bit from where we're at right here. Well, Robinson and Hoback worked out... Uh, uh, there, while Reznor accompanied a guy by the name of Giles Leclerc and Pierre Dorian to a location several j- days' journey up the Boise River. Now, here they actually built a rude shelter. So now we're divided into two groups of, of trapping parties, okay? So the two small parties trapped all into the winter. Well, the Shoshone Indians in the vicinity proved to be friendly, but there was a band of what they call bad snakes. They also call them, quote, dog ribs, and I'd never heard that term before. But that kind of kind of irritated the historians, and early in January 1814, Reed had erected another cabin across the river to avoid the Indians. Well, the Indians came, they burned it first, and alerted by a friendly Indian, Dorian's wife uh, bundled her children and set out on horseback to find her husband. Well, three days later, on a wintry morning, she approached the hut of her husband and his companions, She said, quote, I observed a man coming from the opposite side, she recounted, and staggering as if unwell. She says, I stopped where I was till he came to me. 
The man was Giles Leclerc, wounded and bloody. That very morning, he said, Indians had fallen on the whites while working their traps. Her husband and Jacob Reznor had been slain. Only Leclerc had escaped. So, this Indian woman boosted Leclerc onto her horse with the infant and turned back toward Reed's house. Well, twice this guy fell off the horse. I mean, he was wounded. He was in bad shape. And after being nursed for a full day, he finally died that night. So, those guys are gone. So, placing both children on the horse, she followed the path down the river to her destination. There, she said, Mr. Reed and the men were all murdered. Uh, there lay old Edward Robinson, a veteran of Kentucky Wars, and his companion, John Hoback. And up the Boise River, they also found Jacob Reznor. Uh, the doomed trio had reached the end of the trail that would never take them to their Kentucky homes. So here's these guys. Like, again, I don't think many people know about these guys, but at least for our history in this area, they played a huge part oh. as far as trappers and one thing another. Hmm. Now, this, the lady, this woman, this Indian woman, uh, she packed on the horse such food as she could get from the cabin. And uh, so Dorian's widow strapped her two children on top. She plunged into the wilderness and amazing this woman uh, incredible perseverance fortitude endurance bravery uh, she braved all kinds of adversities that would have killed almost anybody else uh, in three months okay by herself with two kids three months she made her way across the snow-covered mountains of the blue mountains okay she's headed west towards uh, astoria those are wicked to drive they, in a car <laughs> they are and she got down to the columbia river and she found refuge among the walla walla indians there in April of 1814, the Astorians listened to her story as she told it. But uh, anyway, so Edward Robinson, John Hoback, and Jacob Bresner, they left only a, a little mark on history. But although Hoback's name is identified a river, yeah. there's a river called the Hoback River. So uh, Hoback Junction. Yeah. And so that's kind of the end of three men that left Kentucky with high hopes, headed back twice, <laughs> turned around twice. And are buried somewhere, who knows where. Uh, I, I'm going to say somewhere in Idaho because that's where yeah. a lot of this latter part took place. But uh, uh, again, if you want to read a, an amazing story, read the story of Wilson Price Hunt and and his attempts to make it uh, to Astoria. And Hunt or uh, Astoria actually sent a ship around South America uh, to meet with the guys that were going overland. So when they met up, there's a, quite an amazing story about. Uh, Astoria, you know, and, and what happened to to them and the, the ship that... Was... Well, there's a place called Astoria, Oregon. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and I, you know, it's on my bucket list. I have never been to Astoria yeah. because they do have a some kind of a historical museum and uh, visitor center thing that I have wanted to go to for a long time. So that's on my list to get up there to Astoria and go see uh, what is left, which isn't much. Right. But... Uh, Again, that's an interesting story with the Astorians that were there that tried to stay and their relationship with the Indians at that point. It, it's kind of a tragic story, really. Yeah, so. well, these two guys, it's almost like uh, one Indian group attacked them and sold all their stuff. So they said, hey, they're pretty good trappers. Watch them. Wait till they get more stuff. And they sure. told all their buddies when they get all their stuff, go get it. Yeah. And then they told all their buddies, go get all their stuff. Poor yeah, guys, they had a mark on them. You know, wait till they got a bunch of stuff that's <laughs> yeah, worth stealing. Exactly. <laughs> Let them do all their trapping for us. They, they, they do pretty good. So that's the story of Edward Robinson, John Hoback, and Jacob Resner. Interesting. 
Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.